everybody. Thanks very much for having me this morning. Um, I pray that God will really speak to us this morning um, on this story that we know so well, the parable of the Good Samaritan, a story well told and a story well heard, I hope, by us this morning. I'd like to read you a poem by an Irish poet called Padraig Otuama, and it's called Narrative Theology, Hashtag One. And I said to him, are there answers to all of this? And he said, the answer is in a story, and the story is being told. And I said, but there's so much pain. And she answered plainly, pain will happen. Then I said, will I ever find meaning? And they said, you will find meaning where you give meaning. The answer is in a story, and the story isn't finished. How do we hear stories? A good story is a story that's well told, but a good story is also a story that's well heard. And that's what I'd like us to think about this morning as we begin this series on parables over the next few weeks, the stories that Jesus told. How do we hear those stories well in the way that is possible? My dictionary of etymology tells me that the history of the word story holds meanings of wise person and the verb to see. To to tell a story well is to see wisely. To hear a story well is to see wisely. I don't know if that's true or not, but I like the idea that if, if a story is a beginning, then there might be a place that it leads to. A deep truth about the essence of ourselves and the essence of our relationships with other people. If we stick with the story, perhaps it can tell us something. And perhaps it can, in a way, help us to see. And Jesus knew the value of storytelling so well. He told so many parables, so many stories, so much that each of the Gospel writers records them, um, and sometimes the same story is repeated in each of the Gospels. And sometimes Jesus explained them, and sometimes he didn't, even when people asked for the meaning. Sometimes he left the stories hanging for people to work out their own meaning and their own response. I suppose he was recognising how much we love to hear stories, the power of the narrative to capture us and to draw us in. And he was also recognising, I think, that our responses are individual. We hear the stories from where we are and from who we are. And the meaning can be different every time we hear a story, and especially if we hear it more than once. Especially with regard to a parable like this one this morning, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which we know very well, don't we? Probably. I would hazard a guess that even for the youngest people among us here, we have heard this story more than once. Perhaps we've heard it three, four, five, fifteen times. So what's the value in hearing it again this morning? What's the value for us today, this morning, in hearing that story that we already know so very well? I guess um, there are other stories, aren't there, that we know well. Um, The popular fairy stories. I wonder if you have any books that you like to read again and again. Um, I have quite a few. Um, Pride and Prejudice, Great Expectations, The Great Gatsby. Uh, There are novels that I like to go back to 
time and time again and read again. Why am I doing that? What is that about, you know? What's, what's the point of it? We seem to want to hear things again and there seems to be something there for us when we hear them again. And perhaps it's this, perhaps we do that for the familiarity and for the unfamiliarity, perhaps for both things. Perhaps we're looking for comfort in what we love and what we know and what we have already worked out before and already interpreted before. And perhaps also we are hoping, maybe, for something new and something that we haven't managed to see before. In American Sign Language, there are two signs for story. The first has open palms, not quite touching, uh, and the thumb and the index finger form little circles like this. The sign for story. As if to say that a story is made up of lots of little circles. And then there's another sign for story, which is flat hands, palms down, describing a stage and then repeating it higher up and higher up. The idea that perhaps stories open up to us, new experiences each time we look at them. There can be multi-layers, there can be stages, there can be layers of meaning, and there can be new meanings and different meanings. One of the things that I do sometimes um, with students that I teach, I'm an English teacher, Um, and we do this thing called uh, mini sagas. I don't know if you've heard of a mini saga. It's a story in 50 words. You have to write a story in 50 words. And I often get them to start off by um, telling the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears in 50 words. Um, And it's it's quite interesting because we all know the story, but according to your perspective, and this is tying in very well with Jackie's thoughts at the beginning, um, according to your perspective and your, and your, your sense of what that story is about, you might spend 30 words on the forest, the dark forest, or you might spend 30 words on the porridge being too hot or salty or whatever it is. You know, according to where you're from, the stories are different um, and the interpretations are different and the meanings are different. So I think that's quite interesting for us to think about this morning. What we notice or what we focus on at different times The meaning can also be different for us depending on how we come to it in the moment. What's going on in our heads at the moment of hearing the story? What questions we have come with this morning to ask God? What questions we have as we hear that story? Our concerns, our anxieties, what our agenda is. And that's quite interesting in this story, isn't it, with regard to the teacher of the law? who comes to Jesus and asks him, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the text which Jackie read for us this morning says he comes to test Jesus. He comes with that metaphysical question about eternal life and asks the question. Jesus answers in a very interesting way. He answers a question with a question. He says, well, what do the scriptures say? How do you read them? And when the man answers with his quotation of the first two commandments, Jesus commends him and tells him that he has the answer to his question. Do this and you will live. But now the man has been led into asking the question he really wants to ask, his real agenda, his real question. And the text says, wanting to justify himself, the man asked, who is my neighbour? 
The man's agenda was self-justification. His deepest question was perhaps something like, if everybody's my neighbour, how do I know that I'm good? Where do I fit in the hierarchy? Who's my neighbour? Who's better than me? Who's beneath me? Where am I? A question which we often see the disciples being quite interested in too. So his real agenda is an important one. And I think it's only when we come knowing what our real agenda is, what our real questions are, what's really truthfully going on for us as we approach a story, that perhaps we're going to be able to understand the meaning which is there for us in that, in that moment, the meaning today, if we're truthful about what our agenda is, then perhaps we can see the truth about ourselves. So we come to this story, aware that we've heard it before, responded to it, interpreted it before, aware that multi-interpretations are possible. We also come to this story with a sense of awareness of our own questions and our own agendas, the lives that we are living this morning. To hear the story well is to hear it with that kind of individuality. Can we also, I wonder, hear with imagination? One word. Sometimes a story only needs one word. I'll tell you a story about some of my travellings this year. I've been away for a year. I was travelling around Europe in my camper van last summer when I came across uh, a little village in the mountains in, in Italy on a very hot Sunday afternoon. It was 38 degrees. I was exhausted. I just had no air conditioning in my car and I just couldn't wait to stop somewhere and find somewhere to camp. Thank goodness. So I'd find this campsite in the middle of nowhere, walked into the bar, and it looked like something out of a Clint Eastwood movie. You know, big long bar, four or five men sitting there with droopy moustaches, with their beers and cigarettes, and all looking rather suspiciously at me as I walked in, and tried to explain with my one phrase of Italian that the electrics on my van had broken, and did she, could she possibly point me towards anyone who might be able to fix them? Well, of course, there was no campervan repair shop in the middle of the Italian mountains, and it was a Sunday afternoon anyway, so we, we, we forgot about that, got out of the bar, went off and camped in the shadiest pitch possible. Within a few minutes of setting up my camp, I looked up and I saw the lady from the bar coming towards me, carrying um, some kind of outdoor fridge, which she was going to set up for me, and all the droopy, moustached Clint Eastwoods coming towards me with their toolboxes and, and their beers and their cigarettes. And within a couple of minutes, they'd fixed my van. You know, in lots of loud Italian, lots of shouting, lots of didn't know what they were saying, but it was fixed. And as they walked off, and, and I was saying, thank you very much, thank you very much, one of them turned around and said one word, welcome. That was his only word of English, like my, I had only my one phrase. One word, welcome. And that story became to me about one word, welcome. A story can sometimes be about a word, a word that comes to you. And I wonder if we think about this story this morning, we know uh, what happens in it very well. A man is on a journey, and on his way he's beaten up by robbers who leave him for dead. A religious figure passes him but doesn't help. A second religious figure repeats the actions of the first. A Samaritan comes along and helps the man most generously, caring for him in a way beyond expectation. 
If I asked you to come up with one word to describe the meaning of this story on your first listening to it this morning and your response to it, what would it be, I wonder? A word that just describes your immediate response and your understanding today. What would that story for you be about today? Perhaps you could just think about that for a moment. Mentally write it down in your head. Hold on to it and see if that becomes confirmed later on or you find some other words as well. And I'd like us just to stay with the idea of imagination for a little bit longer, if you don't mind, as we think about the story. Um, I've been working for the last three months at a Peace and Reconciliation Centre in Northern Ireland and I find it helpful to learn a little bit about Ignatian spirituality. I don't, you probably know a lot more about it than I do. But in particular, the use of the imagination in prayer and uh, response to Bible. Uh, it's a new, been a new approach for me. And I thought it might be interesting for us just to think again about this story in an imaginative way, in the way that that uh, Ignatian spirituality works. There are many characters in the story. I wonder, could you now, just for a few minutes, concentrate on one of them? I'm going to read the story again. I'm going to read some parts of the story again to you. Could you just think about one of the characters? There's the man who's on his journey to Jerusalem, the victim in the story. There's the first priest. There's the Levite. There's the Samaritan. There's the innkeeper. And there are the robbers, of course. Choose one of those characters and imagine yourself into that role. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to do any acting whatsoever. No acting. Just inside your head, imagine what it would be like to be that person. And as I start the story, um, if you could have sort of three things in your mind. First of all, being that character, just imagine where are you going? What are you doing? All of the characters in the story are busy, aren't they, at the start of this story? They're on their way somewhere or they're busy with their jobs. What might your character be thinking about, worried about, hoping for, intending? And then as the story gets underway, what is your character's first response when when the encounter happens? What are your thoughts and feelings? If you're the priest, if you're the Levite, and you see this man. If you're the innkeeper and you see the man coming in, being helped by a Samaritan who promises to bring the rest of the money the next day or in a couple of days. If you are the victim himself, there are several encounters, aren't there? The encounter with the robbers. You see the priest, perhaps. You see the Levite. You see the Samaritan who helps you. And then you get to the inn. And finally, what are your reflections after the encounter? As you get on with your day, as you look back on what happened, what are you thinking about that encounter and that person? What are you thinking about your own actions? How you behaved? What do you think will happen next? How will it affect you? That was probably too many questions to remember, wasn't it? I I should have written them up for you, which I haven't, but basically three things. Uh, Your thoughts... At the beginning, as you approach the story, what's going on for you in your day, your first response to the encounter, and then your reflections at the end of the encounter. And I'm just going to read a little bit of the story again for us as we do that. So trying to think imaginatively. There was once a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
when robbers attacked him, stripped him and beat him up, leaving him half dead. It so happened that a priest was going down that road, but when he saw the man, he walked by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite came along, went over and looked at the man, then walked on by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was travelling that way came upon the man, and when he saw him, his heart was filled with pity. He went over to him, poured oil and water on his wounds, and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own animal, took him to an inn, where he took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Take care of him, he said, he said to the innkeeper. And when I come back this way, I will pay you whatever else you spend on him. Just a moment or two to kind of imagine that scene and to think about it. I wonder if there is a word that's coming into your mind about what this story is about. You've been thinking about it from a perspective, like Jackie was talking about the perspective. It's almost as if we met this week, Jackie, to talk about this service, isn't it? But yet we didn't. So that's pretty good, isn't it, that we're kind of tying in. Is there any kind of new insight, I wonder? Perhaps something surprising that has come to you freshly and newly this morning because you've been perhaps thinking about the story from a different viewpoint. Two words that spring out from the story for me, and I was imagining myself to be the innkeeper, are difference and courage. This is a story about people who are different from each other and how they act when they encounter difference. The choices are always there to react with fear, suspicion, indifference, compassion, courage. How do we react in our post-Brexit world to people who are different to us? And isn't it interesting how Jesus finishes the story? He finishes the parable by asking, who was the neighbour? And the teacher of the law answers, the one who showed him mercy and kindness. And Jesus then says, go and do likewise. I wonder what that imperative was. Go and give help to those who are different and who might despise you. Or go and receive help from those who are different from you, who you might consider beneath you, from whom you might feel you have nothing to receive. Who might, who might that be for each of us? I think both interpretations at the end are possible. In considering neighbourliness, we obviously must be kind to those in need, but also be willing to be helped by those from whom help might hurt. There's been plenty of hurt in Northern Ireland where I have been living for the last few months, and plenty of seeing people who live alongside each other very much as the other people of difference a place where sometimes instead of reaching out with kindness to give and receive it's been easier to build walls to separate differences to keep communities the opposite from diverse and we've been hearing a lot about walls in the last few months in our own politics here in England as well the troubles are supposedly over in Northern Ireland but you know there are still 40 peace walls Sectarian murals are starting again on all of the walls. 
5,000 sectarian parades each year. 5,000 sectarian parades. And this is supposed to be peace. There's still a lot of what we see in this story, distrust, fear, suspicion. And storytelling has become a really important element in the whole work of peace building and reconciliation. It's very interesting in the way that it did so also for the truth and reconciliation process in South Africa. In my last week there, I saw the impact of a woman standing up and telling her story of how she lost her husband and son in the years of violence. And I saw the impact of her feeling that that story was heard as another woman from the other side stood up and empathised with her pain and hurt and then told her story. The important thing about that process is the importance of trusting and believing the story which is being told. Hearing without prejudice. A story which is well heard is also a story which is heard with trust and openness, pushing the old responses away. One day I was standing in the kitchen um, at Corrie where I was working, with a man who's been involved in the peace process uh, for many, many years. And he started to tell me the story of his own life, living in North Belfast in the years of the Troubles back in the early 70s. And as he told me his stories of uh, police intimidation and the inequality of society, I found a voice in my head saying, don't believe it, this is Republican propaganda because that's what I grew up with. That's, where I, that's the perspective that I grew up with. And I kind of heard the voice and sort of shook my head and thought, okay, I'm, at the moment I'm not listening to this story with openness and belief and trust. It was quite an interesting moment. If we're going to be able to hear the stories of Jesus, the parables, the stories of his encounters with people, and are going to hear them well, then I think those are the three things that I want to leave us with this morning. If we can hear them with an awareness of ourselves as individuals, our own positions, our own questions, our own understandings, our own previous interpretations. If we can hear the stories with imagination, perspective, empathy. If we can listen with an open, trustful, believing mind and heart we might be very surprised by some of the truth which God may lead us into, some new insights, something which is surprising. I'm going to just finish with another poem, also by my Irish poet, Patrick. It's a bit longer. And it's also called Narrative Theology, hashtag two. I used to need to know the end of every story, but these days... I only need the start to get me going. God is the crack where the story begins. We are the crack where the story gets interesting. We are the choice of where to begin, the person going out, the stranger coming in. God is the fracture and the ache in your voice. God is the story flavoured with choice. God is the pillar of salt, full of pity, accusing God for the sulphurous city. God is the woman who bleeds and who touches. We are the story of courage or blushes. God is the story of whatever works. God is the twist at the end and the quirks. We are the start and we are at the centre. We are the characters, narrators, inventors. 
God is the bit that we can't explain. Maybe the healing. Maybe the pain. We are the bit that God can't explain. Maybe the harmony. Maybe the strain. God is the plot and we are the writers. The story of winners and the story of fighters. The story of love and the story of rupture. The story of stories. The story without structure. So can we just pray as we finish this morning? Father, we thank you for the stories which Jesus has told. We thank you for the many parables that there are and the wealth of wisdom and insight and truthfulness that there is in these stories. Lord, we ask that you would help us to be aware of possible meanings, to be open, to be trustful, to be willing to imagine and to think about different perspectives. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us with your truth, that you would open up your word to us, and that you would enable us to know you more through all of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.